0: Welcome to season 2 episode 1. I'm your host Sabrina Lynn and today's conversation is deep, raw, wild, beautiful. It is with the one and only Robert Ohado. This man's mind and his capacity to weave mystical truth into words is mind-blowing. I think he's one of those underrated geniuses. And I don't even know that he's underrated. I just think that his work in the world is something that can gift so, 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 so many people. A um, little bit about Robert. He's recognized um, in the fields of psychospirituality, multisensory development, and human consciousness. He's hosted radio shows. He's been featured in Fortune magazine with his work as an intuitive strategist. Um, with Fortune 500 companies, he's been on Oprah radio numerous times, he's highly sought after for his lectures, his intuitive consultations, and his unique astrological expertise. So he weaves, this man is like a wisdom weaver, weaves from various traditions in various ways, and this conversation is chock full of Doorways into self. It's chock full of practices, of reflective questions, of gems like little gems of just this. I remember one of the gems that really stood out for me was enoughness. Like, what if we lived our lives from this space of enoughness? Just, just being, just our very being was enough, right? And and I know that that might sound really surface level right now, but once you get into this conversation and you are drinking your cup of tea and you've got your notebook out and you're taking notes and we go to that place, I invite you to really walk into this with that open heart and that curiosity. What's here for me? What's here for me? What's here for me? One of the members on my team who I owe a lot, a lot, a lot of gratitude to for All of the work that my team does, but one of the members on my team as she was prepping this episode, she goes, this is so full. I had to take a nap after it. It is so full. It is so big. It is so beautiful. Um, It's dense, but dense in a great way. Um, So I invite you to wholeheartedly dive into this episode, get everything that you can from it at the end, and share kind of ways that you can dive deeper into some of Robert's work. Also in episode two, so this is episode one, the very next podcast episode coming out, we will do some embodiment around this conversation. So I'll host that on my own and I'll bring some embodiment practices to it, some deeper conversations, some reflective questions, some other ways of maybe looking at things that we explored in this episode. So, all right, I wholeheartedly invite you to subscribe to join the newsletter if you don't want to miss future episodes or episode two where we're diving into the embodiment of things and the practices around things um, and also to enjoy and get the most out of this episode. Robert, welcome to Rewilding.
1: Hey, Sabrina. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it is an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. I think your work and what you weave into this world brings so much to our community and so much to our audience. And I'm excited to just dive in. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I want to kick off our conversation with kind of an open question. And it feels like that will lead us into different places. But I would love to know for you, when you're kind of feeling into current energetics and feeling into the grid, what is top of mind for you? What themes or, oh yeah, I know, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a big question these days. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting you ask that question because last night whilst kind of skimming some news, you know, which is all I can do anymore because it's Everyone's, you know, I think kind of trying to um, create a story about the story, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of sift through that with a really discern discerning filter to really understand there are real things happening in the world you do want to know about and that you do want to understand how to serve. So I think what's always top of mind for me is service. It's like how do I, in whatever skill set I'm bringing to the table, um, serve people and and have an impact on. The fate and destiny of our times. How do I get that alchemy going? Uh, and every time I create a masterclass, or any time I do a podcast, or you know, uh, do anything at, in, at this stage of where I'm at in my life cycle, uh, and also in my in my role as a teacher guide, I'm always looking to what is the thing that I can say or help with that is very unique to my own personal channel, very unique to my skill set, and my particular. Um, aptitudes. So I'm always in that kind of space of, you know, letting something greater, obviously speak through me on behalf of the holism of life. But there's always that sense of what is the unique voice that I can bring to, you know, wake people up, um, connect them to themselves and just create a kinder and more compassionate world. And also speak the truth. You know, I think you know my work well to know that um, I say stuff other people would never say as teachers uh, it's some, something I've become known for. And it's not because I'm trying to be a rebel or anything. It's just, that's how I'm wired. You know, I can't do, I can't do um, politeness at the expense of suffering that others are going through. So that is really what I try to, to look at um, and, and, and consider how do I serve with, through my voice, through my uniqueness in any way I can.
0: Yeah. So this brings me to my next question is around this piece of service in our community, we talk a lot about our own individual markers and knowing like where we're being called and when we're being called and what that feels like and what like deep, true, almost soul calling feels like versus like little egoical calling. (laughs) Right. And also this, you know, it feels to me, I could be very wrong about this, but it feels to me like for you, it's so moment to moment to moment to moment, right? Around what serves this moment and maybe what served last week might not be the same as what serves this moment right now. Yeah. And so I'm just curious if you have anything to share, whether it's in your teachings or even in your own personal practices around possibly letting go and being so fluid and so open to serving the moment.
1: I love this question. You have no idea how much I love this question because what I'm going to sort of relanguage it and then answer it. Yeah. Um, What I feel you're asking me um, is something that I try to teach all the time. And, you know, being someone who's been a professional intuitive in the field of, of intuition going on 15 years now, you know um, the thing that is important, that I think a lot of people are not taught about intuitive medicine is that it really is moment to moment to some degree. We're taught formula. We're taught, this is the formula to heal. This is the formula to address this and that and the ills of the world. And some of that may apply. It it really might be useful, but to really understand what a moment needs, first, you got to be in that moment. You've got to be present to it. You've got to be, able. and that means, and this is where I got to pull everyone into their emotional system you've got to feel what you feel about that moment you've got to be in your emotional system intuitively which is a, 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 gives you tons of information it's an intuitive antenna so in a in a culture that medicates emotion that's a challenge you know we who wants to feel anxiety who wants to feel anger who wants to feel fear who wants to feel depressed depression or grief they're not fun they're never going to be, but they're still guiding. And the I think it's wisdom
0: you, in them, right?
1: Yeah. And so that, that for me is part of, you know, and it's, I'm not saying it's easy. It sucks. I mean, it can really <laughs> suck. Sometimes you sit there, you take a step back and look at this world right now and this axial shift that's going through. And it's a painful, um, it's a painful, painful view to look, a, look at the kind of bigger picture of everything that's happening and so for me, you know, it, it, where I'm gu- how I'm guided um, is like, for example, if I'm going to create a, a new course or something, I look at what's happening in the field and primar- primarily to be specific of the people that would listen to me. You know, yeah. not, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. So I have to really focus on, you know, my student body, people that I'm serving and how I can best help them through challenges, like being overwhelmed with their empathic system right now. There's so much really um, toxic and radical emotional debris in the field that you have to understand your own empathic system really, really well. So I create a masterclass on that, you know, and, and then how do I guide people through in a unique way to understand themselves as what I call an empathic soul? You know, that's just an example of being in that moment of, and I wouldn't get to that, that kind of guidance if I didn't feel my own empathic soul's senses uh, and the overwhelm and overload of them for myself. So it's really about that to me. Uh, and it's, I call that living intuitively. What it means to live intuitively is that sometimes formulas work, sometimes they don't. The way you'll know is through your own intuitive system. And that, that will, as you said, they're so full of guidance. Some of those darker emotions can have tons of guidance. Anger is going to guide you perhaps to set a boundary you need to set. Yes. How else are you going to get to it? You don't get to that through the quote, unquote, love and light. You get to it through the the grittiness of feeling really pissed that someone's walking all over you and you finally have had enough. You know, sometimes it takes um, a darker emotion to really guide you to the medicine you need in that moment. And and moments, let's just be clear, can also for me be you know, like a life cycle, a cycle that you happen to be in. Uh, you know, I, 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 maybe you're aware I call it the dark night of the ego when we go through this dark cycle of, of one identity dying and another one kind of moving up from the soul to replace it. And then from there, take the reins of your life forward. You know, So being in the moment is, is really crucial. That, that to me is the mystical practice is just be here. As, and it's, it's, it's not done perfectly by any means and i certainly don't have it down, but it is about being in, in the moment unconditionally. You know, you don't have to like you you do not have to like it. That is not the same thing. Like being in something in terms of acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it. Yeah. In fact, it's that you don't like it that guides you. So, but you gotta be there to get the full read, intuitive read of something. And then you're you're gonna know, um, you will absolutely know your next optimal step step choice or decision from there.
0: Yeah. So here's my next question on that. So if step one is be unconditionally fully in the moment. And then also it sounds like just to shift it back to kind of language that we use is to like broaden your capacity switch off, you know, shift from being like numbing or avoiding certain frequencies of emotions or certain ways that our bodies are talking, our intuition is talking to us, like being open to, okay, I'm fucking angry. I, it's actually right. the boundary has just been crossed. Yeah. Not hundred, pretty, for the
1: hundredth time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: right. So, so here's my next question um, for you is how do you teach or how did you do in yourself, this um, level of like clearing it out, right? So that I don't feel anger coming up and then it triggers off a deep old wound in myself. And I'm missing the moment. I might be the energy of the moment is coming in correctly, but my system is operating, responding from a wounded place.
1: Right, from trauma or something. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, well, yes, do, yes. Do you know what though, Here, here's sort of the paradox. That is your moment. If you're triggered totally. back into your history, that's your moment. Totally. So you've gotta got be with it. And the, the thing, so I wanna also offer, just cause we're on this sort of now new path of triggering cause I don't, I don't think anyone else really says this, but me sadly, um, there's different types of triggering. And I always think all triggering is, is useful. It has, it has, it has a message for you. It's, yeah. If you will, it's a synchronicity. Right. And we shame that we like, Oh, if I was so spiritual, I wouldn't be triggered. Or if I was a good person, I wouldn't be triggered. It's like the Catholic language put into, you know, that new, new age spiritual terms. Um, and it's all bullshit. Yeah. Uh, actually triggering is going to be part of your life process forever and ever. It's never fun, but if you can learn, to understand its message, so traumatic triggering, like you're saying, being in that moment and the anger coming up, and something just you know setting you off into an old trauma, you really truly do leave the moment, as you're saying, in terms of I, I say you time warp back to where that that trauma was first imprinted or happened, and now you're in the psyche of five years old or whatever age you were when you were first traumatized that particular way. The thing to to be aware of is just know that's your moment. Hey, I'm in, I'm in a five-year-old psyche right now, looking at my whole entire life through that filter. So then ask the question, well, how useful is this five-year-old going to be in navigating what it couldn't navigate back then? This moment that I'm triggered in, it's not going to be too useful. So you do want to, it's sort of like, you have to hold this paradox of my moment is a time warp right now, but I've got to be with that then. And then the gift of that kind of triggering is you get to go back to that five-year-old and ask that five-year-old and assess as a mystical parent, what do you need from me now? How can I be the parent to you you didn't have? How can I protect you? What, do you you need me to give you a hug? Do we, you know, and maybe it's, they finally need to tell what happened to them, which is oftentimes the case. There's gotta be some kind of uh, addressing of what happened to then get your system to come back into the moment, and how that's done, there's so many therapies out there for that. I mean, there's psychotherapy, there's all sorts of t- uh, talk therapy, um, any any therapy. I think I think you I think you have in the end have to do a holistic kind of assessment and holistic healing there. I don't think there's any one therapy that somehow gets you out of that uh, space, and you may you may never get to a place where you're not triggered to some degree, and that's fine. The thing is, when you let everything just be okay, you've already taken the reins of the moment. Yeah. You've, already, you've already given yourself permission to show up. And, if, and I would ask anyone to test this out and the next time you're triggered that way and you find yourself going back to, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be your childhood. Maybe you had someone cheat on you in a relationship and you're still in that relationship trying to work it out and they do something to trigger your, your suspicion or to trigger your, um, your doubt about them being faithful and committed to you going forward from now. Okay, let's just be with that. As soon as we can be with things, now we have choice. Yes. The more we resist being with things, we're in compulsion. We're in whatever that five-year-old would do, which sometimes might look like, shut up, hide, go hide under the bed. Oftentimes, because what else can a five-year-old do? It it doesn't have the power to move forward and confront a victimizer. If it did, it would have done it when it was five. So there's this whole, you know, process there where you have to, to be in your moment, you have to be with whatever the moment's doing, even if it's a time warp, that's your moment. Yeah. Now I wanna just, if you don't mind, offer uh, something that I identified um, in, in clients and in myself you know, through intuitive readings and I call it mystical triggering. And it's a, so I wanna give this to people, so just on their level of triggering, they understand the difference between a traumatic trigger and a mystical trigger. Now let's also remember once again, we're in a culture wherever you go, that pretty much makes all triggering quote unquote wrong. Right. There's something wrong with you if you're triggered. Well, you know what mystical triggering is, it's that this isn't a triggering that takes you back in time. It's actually very present oriented. And it's when you see or um, experience that someone and their holism is being violated. So if you see an animal being abused, if you see a child at the supermarket being slapped around by its parent, if you see any, and, and as soon as I'm saying these things, I'm sure, you know, everyone listening is going, oh, I'm feeling the trigger coming right now. Exactly. That, that trigger is also guidance and it usually comes through anger that someone's is being violated and you're being recruited through your triggering to do something about it. So when we feel mystical triggering, it's, it's really on behalf of mystical truth, which is we're all connected and we all have value. And as soon as we see someone and their value and safety and security and esteem being violated, we should hopefully have some kind of inner mystical soul wiring that says, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not having that. And our, and our warrior comes online, our rescuer comes online, our advocate comes online. It's exactly how it should work. Yeah. You know, so if we can't even get to that and be in that moment, even in some of the filters we hear here in self help and spirituality, which say, "Well, no, um, all triggering's bad. It's just you should just live a life of peace and equanimity." Bullshit. You know, I, I want to be mad about you know what's happening to the animals on this planet during this climate change event we're in, mass extinction they're going through. I want to be pissed about that. Yeah. Because then maybe I'll do something. You yeah. know. So the moment, you know it's, it's, it's a practice. I mean, I don't, I don't definitely don't have this down perfectly and I will also empower students. And I'll say, listen, if the moment's too charged for you, then maybe it's, there's some wisdom in dosing how present you are. I call it checking out to check in. So sometimes you just gotta be like, you know what? I can't, I can't do the news today. It's just my system's fried. I won't be useful seeing anything. I don't care what triggering is. I'm just, I'm too, I'm done and then that's where you got to go okay i need, i need to to check out to check in whatever that looks like it could be something like going in, you know sitting in silence and meditating or it could be having a cocktail you know it, it's whatever but you the oh, the point is always staying conscious and holding the reins of whatever it is you're doing you always have a choice to pivot it, once you're in compulsion the reins are gone
0: i love that we're shining or looking at triggering from a very different angle and kind of blowing yeah that I don't, new age thought around triggering is bad and
1: right. judgment
0: around that and the shame and then the right. way of that and the trying to avoid that. And it's yeah, really going yeah. into that mystical truth of whatever is arising in the moment is so perfect. It is so exactly. yeah. perfect. Yeah. So now yeah. Here's you don't the, have to like
1: it. The, it, it <laughs> totally. You don't have to like it at all. You know? yeah.
0: yeah. And your mystical triggering reminds me of I think it's andrew harvey's words of sacred activism it just oh yeah, yeah. yeah right sacred activism and so to just kind of throw those words in there so something around this is it we're like digging in and i hope that's okay Rob. you're bringing such
1: yeah sure awesome sure
0: awesome things and you talk about um things through different a different language and a different lens which i'm loving because it's like our community is seeing it from here all the time and you're like And these words. So it's (laughs) coming at things from all angles. I feel like
1: I'm happy to serve.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So here's my question on triggering. Do you ever see almost like a trigger addiction? Then do you ever see like this pattern arising where Those who've been working, doing inner work for so long or shadow work or deep diving for so long, it's almost like now that becomes the patterned response to a moment. And it's, and like the truth of that moment is actually not necessarily digging in. That's now actually like habit or almost addiction. Do you see that? Do you talk to that ever?
1: Oh, I, I think that's. It's interesting you ask that question um, because I think that's um, a, an epidemic in areas of animal activism, in areas of PC hyper PC culture. It, you know, just go to Twitter if you want to know what what it looks like to be triggered constantly, right? I mean, everyone on there is in one big trigger going after each other um, with their faceless profiles, and so you know, the thing that I would say about that is. We can't live our lives in constant rebellion. Yeah, Our systems aren't engineered for it. You're, you'll fry out. And actually probably your health will give out at some stage. Certainly your psyche will start to break down. But the, the thing that I would ask and want to read out is what's underneath that? What Because that's a strategy of some kind by one's psyche. And we don't just have strategies out of thin air. We have, I call them um, survival adaptations that somehow our subconscious thought was at a given time, the best strategy for us to help, help us survive. So if someone's in a constant triggerable or triggered state and is under the next trigger, the next trigger, then what is that defending? What are you afraid of actually landing in? Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, we can feel anger about in mystical triggering and traumatic triggering. And what's underneath that is heartbreak. Mm -hmm. So we never land in the actual heartbreak if we stay in anger, you know, we, we don't get to slow down our system enough to land in, Hey, this breaks my heart. What I really want to do is go sit in that corner and cry for about three days and, and just try to figure out what the next step's going to be. So you're not, if you're in constant triggering, you're not getting the, the full guidance. And I would say you're more likely to um, react versus respond. Yeah. Cause that's all it is. It's a constant reaction yeah. and you're not, it's not intuitive back to what we started this with. It's not an intuitive approach at all. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing is once like you, like you're saying, and I think what you're saying is it keeps someone from the moment, you know, it really keeps you kind of bouncing on this trigger trampoline whereas I'm going up and I'm going down. And as soon as I'm down, I'm bouncing back up again and another trigger and another trigger and another trigger. The, the underlying issue of all of that, which may not be obvious is really esteem. Because they have, if you deal with your heartbreak and if you deal with the world in a direct, unconditional way, one of the first things we all encounter is how worthless we actually feel about ourselves. Yeah. And so the person that, so then I'd look to what archetype is, would most likely be in um, a constant cycling of triggering. And Shadow Rescuer comes to mind you know, this, I got to, I am here to save the world. And the way I do that is by being mad at every little violation or big violation. And I just stay in that state of how dare you life. How dare you? So-and-so how dare you everyone? And what's underneath that is I don't feel like I'm enough to just land in my own broken heart, deal with my pain and, and, also, just start to feel my real um, rainbow of feelings. I just choose one color. It's red. I'm always angry. And I, I don't know how to be with this life. If you slow me down, I'm going to have to drop into how worthless I actually feel. And my shadow rescuing at least gives me an esteem bump. So every time someone's out there, and I, I believe there's a space for, um, let's just say political correctness in a balanced way. I, I mean, I'm a gay man, so I'm all for it, trust me. You know, I think there's certain things we do need to quote unquote call out or bring to awareness or address. But when we go so far off where we can't let people be the fucked up human beings they are, like we are, and we have to monitor everything they say, and we have to monitor every action they take, and we have to go after them for cultural appropriation of this and that, and what, whatever it is that people just spin around in now. I always look at it from a very practical point of view how useful is that yeah how useful is it to ride someone's ass and constantly be on people and you know someone like that's that way with themselves and what's driving that then they feel like they're worthless i'm not enough so i've got to go fix the world because i know i'm too unfixable and underneath that if you know you're enough and i know this you know just being gay and having being bullied and i always recognize oftentimes in someone who has a problem with my sexuality, that they probably have a problem with their own sexuality. You know, we will project and take out to the streets, um, whatever it is, we're not at at peace within ourselves. And it's just not right or wrong, it's just what we do. It's a technical thing to me. But the trigger trampoline is really underneath that is I feel like I'm not enough. I'm trying to save the whole world. And I'm just gonna stay stuck in this, and and it's not useful, nothing, because, I always look at things from when someone's coming with real wholehearted intentionality they're they're very strategic about their energy they choose their battles they know the battles meant for them you know there's a ton of battles to fight we can't fight them all so there is in our destiny uh, a, an appointed battle for all of us if you will you want to use that language to to go and Bring and it's really, I say battle, but it's about a healing process. It's about holism. We are meant to each become agents of holism in some arena or other, some mission. So when we we engage that mission, you know, we're not going to be on that trigger trampoline. We're going to definitely get triggered, but how we take that into ourselves as guidance and process through it is conscious, not reactive, you know, not just going crazy. So I think those are just some of the profiles I would offer, um, and there's more, around what you do see very, you know, prevalent now within all the, you know, all the, the, the shadow rescuing community, the hyper PC community and everything else that's out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that you're weaving so much of this into everyday life and just yeah. culture and what's going, we're such deep divers here. Um, yeah. and so I love that we're weaving the deep diving in with like, this is what's on Twitter. This is what's yeah. happening yeah. here, right? Go look right yeah. now. <laughs> um, so for me, just to like wrap up the trigger piece, um, there's this, you know, everything that you're saying about the triggers and then the piece that I kind of want to just weave in really quickly sure. for those listening is the addiction to the processing of the trigger. Maybe that's a better yeah. way for me to say that. Like the get triggered, and we stay in this pattern of must process that, must deep dive for three weeks into five year old self who's wounded, traumatized, versus yep, trigger happens, that's there, great. And staying even like truer to the moment instead of that addiction to just process. Because that's what I see quite a bit happening now that people have been doing shadow work and have been doing internal work and all these deep dives is now there's an addiction to instead of sacred activism, right? Like in the moment, an animal is being abused and it's like, oh, I'm raging. I must process for three weeks when I'm raging. No, actually, you're raging and it's act in the moment. Like you're being called to serve this moment now, yeah. not process the shit out of this. Right. And, right. Right. And dive into that. So I just wanted to throw that in to kind
1: okay. of. Okay. Yeah. what I would say, you know, once again, the thing I'm always looking at, and this is what I do as an intuitive reading people is um, because people come to me, to, whether it's through a course or when I, I don't really do readings anymore, but when I did them, um, uh, they come to me because they can't see something in themselves. They need different set of eyes. And I'm always, so I'm always those eyes looking beneath the surface. Like what's the driver here. Yeah. So what's the driver of somebody who is now uh, compulsively processing all the time. Yeah. Uh, And there can be a few. Uh, One is anytime we're in a state of compulsion or addiction, what that is always serving is not being with the moment in some way. you know, it's, 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 I actually use this language. It's disincarnating your spirit from the moment. You don't want to be here. There's, there's too much charge. It's too hard. And that that's actually fine. This life is hard. Let's just be clear. This can be, and it is and we're in a very rough cycle of, of transition collectively and individually in this life right now. So let's just name that. That's true. That's where I say, you know, this is where you want to be conscious about how you are here or aren't. Check out to check in if you need to. Go watch a stupid like I do around Christmas Christmas movie about this prince marrying this, you know, maid and let it just have a great time, you know, but be conscious about it. Like I'm checking out. You know, when you do that, you're still in choice, you're still in a conscious awareness. Now, when it comes to that pursuit of every little thing in our psyche that we gotta fix you know, their archetype driving that is the perfectionist there. I've got to fix this. I, oh my gosh, I was triggered. There's something wrong with me. Yep. What if, what if someone were just to sit in this medicine? You know what? Yeah, I'm triggered. So fucking what gosh. I'm just going to hang out here and I'm not going to go look under any sheets or beds. I'm just going to let me be me triggered me. You know, what would that, and actually, as I say that, I feel a peace. I feel like, a, oh shit, I'm okay. Oh my God, who knew? I'm triggered as F and I'm still enough. Oh. And I always say this to people, you know, if you were enough, now what? And when you ask oh, that question, what one. it does is it, it it's a read on your own system. Because what you get to see about your own system is how you go do most of the things in your life out of, I got to get to enough. But if I said, you know what, you're enough now, now you get triggered. Now, what do you do? Yeah. Maybe you're like, Oh, I'm triggered. I need to be extra gentle with myself right now, (sighs) you know, and then, Oh, you know, maybe I should go look at this a little bit and see what's going on. But it's not like this violent race to figure it out and, you know, clean up your whole entire you know, shadow closet. It's, Hey, you know what? Here's, what's true. Let me just let everyone in on something. We're all fucked up. We're always going to be, no one's perfect. You're going to be triggered the rest of your life. Do you want to then wait until you're not triggerable to start being happy and enjoying your life? Do is that, is that, is this the formula? Because you'll never get it. You know how can we be with um, the moment? This is what unconditional, you know, presence with the moment is. It's like I can be here and be triggered, and I'll, I can zig zag. Let me just feel this out for a minute. Maybe I just need to take a nap. Yeah. You know, it's it's really it's a whole completely different approach to how we're programmed. You know, and we have to really be mindful that uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are on the journey of self discovery um, seekers of their own sort uh, and wanting to understand themselves deeper and be of service in some way and find quote unquote their calling. That's all lovely, it's all amazing. But we have to be mindful of why. And I will tell you, until you get a handle on how shame drives your life, that's why. I would always look at people in workshops back when we could actually have them before COVID and I'd be like, how many of you came here to fix yourself? be honest, you know, and, and most of them would raise their hands. And I'm like, okay, you came here out of your shame. That's fine. You're in the room, but we're, we're not going to move forward by shame, driving anything from here. Yeah. We're going to just be with you're enough right now. You were enough back then you'll always be enough. I call this soul esteem. You're never not going to be enough. It's part of your nature. You cannot do anything to not be enough. And I can say that and it sounds great, but it doesn't mean it's active. It's not an active truth in someone's system. How does it activate? By being triggered and not doing a thing and loving yourself in that moment, no matter what, you practice the activation. You get to the place of, hey, I'm just going to sit here and, you know what? Guess what? Guess what else is true? I'm 10 pounds overweight. Okay. What else? What else you got? Yep. And you know what? You're still enough. Yep. You know, when we move from shame, we end up in a light dimming loop. We dim our own light and that's all we continue to do. We're on this like light dimming treadmill um, and it never ends. You'll never, you'll never, ever be perfect and fixed. <laughs> yeah. Can that be okay with you? Yeah. You know, and as soon as we start to go, you know, I think that can be okay. You know, I might not like that, but let me just practice in this new set of truths about my nature that, hey, I'm enough no matter what I do. So now what do I want to do? Yeah. Once you get the shame driver out, which is going to always drive you through compulsion, um, like you're saying addictions to process and fix, well, that's going to be a pretty, um, painful life. You know, that's its own pain. You know, how can, how can we, yes, we do need uh, oftentimes to embrace and heal into our, our natural holism more and awaken things in us and, um, bring awareness to trauma and our mystical triggering. We that's actually all true, but how can we do it from a different intentionality? It's like, you know, the yo-yo diet syndrome where people lose weight because they don't think they're enough. And then they they pull it off, they lose hundred pounds. But what do they do? They gain it all back again, why? Because what was driving them was their shame, not their worth. Yeah. What if you said, you know what? I'm enough to take better care of my health and eat well. And out of that enoughness, I'm gonna lose some weight.
0: And that's a completely that's different driver. Root of it, like, yeah. that's the root, the deepest, deepest yeah. point that you can get to.
1: Yeah. And we all got it. I mean, I, I'm not going to present it. Like I've got this down either, but I, I, I know it as an intuitive in people's system. And I know it myself. Yeah. And when it comes around, uh, that's when we practice. Okay. I'm, I'm being driven by shame here. Um, how can I pivot? What's the mystical pivot here? And sometimes, you know, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of prayer sometimes you gotta do a ritual or pray that stuff up to a greater power and get that juice in your system and that electricity going because your power alone can't pull it off. Yeah. So, you know, and that might, that greater power might look like you go to a support group and actually just talk to people and everyone shares in soul esteem together. Hey, we're all enough, let's just hang out. <laughs> you know, we're not gonna process, we're just gonna hang out in our enoughness for a minute. You know? Uh
0: huh. Absolutely, know? absolutely. We just opened a circle with that exact energy.
1: Oh, just awesome! A, that's just, wonderful.
0: Radical acceptance enough. Yeah. It's all yeah. like just, yeah. So love this conversation. I would love to weave into fate versus destiny. And I know a lot of people have a lot of different uh, ways of describing fate and ways of describing destiny, but I almost feel like this is a good segue
1: into yeah. how we
0: talk about fate versus destiny.
1: That happens to be something I know a lot about, Sabrina. Right. Well, convenient. <laughs> about again. I'm asking the right questions. Fate and destiny. You know, I feel like I've been and still am an, an eternal student of these forces of our, of our lives. Um, and, you know, I'm going to language it a few different ways. I, I kind of consider them uh, two voices, two forces, uh, in a sense, two graces that, that pull through all, all of our lives. Fate is, uh, and and it's important to embrace what fate is. And the Greeks had this down. You know, they had um, a goddess Moira for it. They also had the three fates, which was like three faces of her. Um, And they 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 gave a space for this part of what is also a facet of the divine feminine in a way. But fate is. I'll language it this way: it's, and then I'm going to language it like five other ways. It's when you're born just image that you're dealt a certain hand of cards. And that is what it is. So that's your race. Maybe that's your sexual orientation. Maybe that's your gender identity. Maybe that's um, your family, uh, certainly family of origin, uh, the culture you grew up in, uh, the society you grew up in, the country you grew up in, and its political systems. These are all things that your soul chooses before you come here. You don't just you know, hop into your family system and decide, well, I don't like this family, time to change it up. You know, you don't have that option of, of choice. That's called fate. It is the it's it's the setup your soul needed to fulfill a destiny. So then what's destiny? Well destiny is really about how do you play that hand you're dealt? How do you awaken your your own empowerment and awareness, consciousness and conscience enough that you can gracefully play the the hand of cards you have. And we all have a mix of cards. Now what's important to realize is that one, fate is guiding. So I grew up in an alcoholic home. I was um, abused by my both my parents actually, severely physically abused by my father. I'm talking life-death stuff. And uh, also obviously I said I was gay. That was another facet that I became aware of around five years old of who I am and my fate in this life. And I'm, you know, obviously a white guy, uh, but I, I grew up also very poor and I come from a really gritty background, you know, uh, and that was something that I needed to propel who I would become as a teacher. I would not be having these conversations with you without that setup. And it was brutal, you know, and it, and there's parts of it that even today still haunt me. That's just, and I just in, in, you know, ergo our discussion on just being with what is, um, I just let that be okay. I don't go on hunts and search missions to try to fix it all. I, f- I fix as, <laughs> as I can and as needed at this stage of my life, but that's just to let everyone know, listen, I don't say this from some rosy new age cloud. I say it from the grit of, of, of childhood abuse and addiction in my family. Um, almost everyone in my family is an addict. So I come from that fate and destiny continues to be for me. How will I use that and those experiences to propel myself forward into the world as a teacher of kindness, compassion, helping people connect to themselves in unconditional ways, helping people uh, realize they do have something called soul esteem. You know, this is, that was the setup for my trajectory. And without those essentials, which, uh, fate is, it's necessity, it's the essentials that set up the trajectory of your path, I wouldn't be here. And might I add, a lot of times what people will do is they'll try to act like they're not defined by their past. And in that sort of what I call disassociation from the past, they are defined by it. You ha- There's a difference between disassociation and differentiation and fate is what begins the journey. So, if we don't embrace our past as a guide, then we don't know where we're headed. You know, my, my journey as a teacher, healer, everything I've become as a guide uh, was, you know, set in motion by those really challenging or that challenging origin story I just gave you. So, what we can do is say, okay, we're, what, what in my life is here to propel some, something else as a destiny? What's destiny? It's, it's an alchemy. You take the lead of your past or your fate and you turn it to gold. And sometimes we're born as I was as well with certain aptitudes and, and gifts, if you will, soul skills that come in with us that are just there. We didn't. They, just, they were just there. I speak um, nearly four languages. I have a mind for symbolic archetypal um, learning and teaching. And that was always there. I, yeah. I, I learned my fluency in other languages came after I was in college. I didn't grow up speaking other languages. It's just I, I have this gift skill where my brain is wired for symbolic holographic thinking and languages fall into that category because every language to me is a new symbolic system, just how to communicate through consciousness through that language. Yeah. And so not everybody has that, but I had that. And so I had things that guided me through, I had an inner wisdom, it was like a little Buddha when I was younger, even though I was going through hell, um, that just came in with me and we all have this. So sometimes we have soul forces that also are part of destiny and then we have the fate we must turn into destiny. And that is a lifelong process it's never done. And destiny ultimately near as I can tell and as I've become, come to know as my own truth is about serving others. Yeah. Your it's in, in the language of Joseph Campbell, the hero or heroine's journey is not just to go get the treasure from the minotaur and then just sit and, you know, count your coins. It's you bring the treasure back to the society, to the collective or you're not a heroine. You know, you you you've missed the loop of of the whole journey without that essential piece. And so what we do in our alchemy, wh- whatever dragons we hug, whatever minotaur's we hug and get our treasures from, That's what we bring back. And that is what destiny is in terms of service. It's what you do in the world that serves the holism of the world and life and other people. And when you engage in that, you're in mystical dynamics now. And in Joseph Campbell's language, again, you have the gods on your side. So the God that maybe initially knocked you on your ass, not only picks you up now, but elevates you to the top of Olympus. And near as I can tell, this is how it really works. Yeah. You know, we, we are on these journeys of having to take the grit of our lives, the lead, and turn it to gold. And gold, and we've got to be clear here, the alchemist is not the lead or the gold. Yeah, They're the alchemist. So don't identify, well, I've got to turn, I'm lead, i got to become gold. No, that's shame language, shame identities. The truth is, you're the alchemist. Yeah. You're never the letter of the gold. You're, you're the soul. You're the soul esteem of the whole process. So destiny isn't about getting to enough. Yeah. Destiny is about, no, I reveal my enoughness yes. by understanding what's covered it up and, and, and peeling that off. And that's the alchemy. The alchemy is the peel and then the gold just, it's already there. Mm-hmm. So This is the, uh, I think one level of how to look at fate and destiny and, you know, it goes into a lot of other areas where we have, we have collective fate and destiny. We have individual fate and destiny, group fate and destiny, you know, and these are, and this is where I think um, the, the cosmic law of karma comes into play as a teacher. You know, we just learn from cause and effect and that's part of the alchemy as well. You know, how do you self, you know, we, we learn from the effects of self-sabotage to know that we don't want to do that anymore. So what are the other options? You know, how do we, how do we alchemize that? How do we alchemize the patterns that we inherited? I call it psychic DNA from our family. This passed down from the psyche of the family lineage. It's just like physical DNA just works at an archetypal psychic level and shapes your identity in your life just like your physical DNA shaped your body. You know, this is what it means to look at things intuitively and holistically when it comes to fate and destiny. There's so much in it, you know, and every, everything I do is always, I, I would have to say really framed in that umbrella of fate and destiny.
0: I love that. I love that this, so we might circle back to that, but I keep feeling Chiron, 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 Chiron. And that is what I felt even before we came into this conversation today, Robert is is Chiron. And-
1: Yeah, one of my favorites.
0: To this wounded healer archetype, the, you know, some of the words that we'll use around it is and there's many aspects to Chiron, of course, but some of our greatest gifts come from our deepest woundings and almost linking that to like the fate and destiny conversation that we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I want to park all of that. What kind of how we talk about Chiron and just throw that over to you. <laughs> I remember, time you got. <laughs> I, I know, right. I know. So I remember hearing you say something about Chiron related to this year, possibly in the astrology. I may have be, I might be making that up, right? I, <laughs> but there's something about Chiron and us having this conversation and bringing it up today that feels really important to me.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, we're this new era we're in and, and I'm going I'm to jump into some language here that comes from my little filter um, of reality. Um and as, absolutely, as you know, um, astrology has been a massive player in a lot of my work, frames a lot of things I do, and it is my favorite intuitive tool, hands down. What Chiron is uh, in all of us is in, you know, and we're, let's frame it from this transition of ages, because that goes, because Chiron is actually uh, the midwife of Pisces to, to the age of Aquarius. Now, this is such a meta shift that it well spans beyond our lifetime. and I would I would say that all of us you know listening and talking about these things are the um, avant-garde. We're the custodians, the beginnings, the seeds of a new time. because clearly you can look around in the world and most people are not having these conversations. So I think it's important to always keep perspective on you know who we are in the world and, and then that also directs destiny for us. The wounded healer pattern is a new emerging force in people, but what's connected in terms of Chiron, because Chiron does carry the wounded healer as part of its archetypal pattern, but it also carries the shaman, and uh, there these these two forces are melded together under the umbrella of Chiron as a pattern. And when we go to the mythology of Chiron, there's so much to distill from from his journey and myth, and that really points to what the pattern is now why Chiron matters, I think probably more than any other archetype actually. And not just you know for this year, this is an era shifting uh, force. This is the new force that is about us coming into our multi-sensory abilities. This is the new force that's about us becoming uh, awakened to a both and consciousness. Chiron was both mortal and immortal. Everything around Chiron's medicine centers around both and. And that's what a shaman is. A shaman is someone that can traverse dimensions and be one foot in one dimension and another foot in another dimension. So in traditional, I think, in terms of the archetype of shamanism and how a shaman becomes a shaman, which is part of Chiron's story, there's always some kind of initiation. And it's not sweating it out in a dude ranch you know, and some teepee for a weekend initiation. This is hardcore uh, near death, what we would call now near death experience types of initiation that often happen to uh, someone in a tribe that really what happened technically is they would have that near death experience go to the spirit realm as we do in a near death experience, but then they would actually not fully die. They'd end up coming back with a conduit open between the two worlds now. And then they would be the conduit for the tribe between two worlds. That, that is one of the ways the classic pattern of shamanism um, has come to be. Then that, that began to also spill off into lineages and people being just initiated more in a conscious way through certain trials and tribulations that the tribe would organize for them to create that kind of psychic shift. But what we need to know now is that we are each under soul contract in this new age. And this is the new age of the co-creator. Now that word gets thrown thrown around so many times it makes me throw up in my mouth because a lot of people just throw it around without even understanding. Just like shamanism, without understanding what they're even talking about and what's included under the umbrella of shaman or co-creator. If they knew what that was, they'd run the other way. Yeah, I would. It's yeah. it's, it's it's no joyride. So the 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 root of Chiron's journey is you know he he's born from um, S- Chronos and Philyra, this nymph getting it on. And uh, when he's born, his mother thinks he's hideous. So she asks the gods to change her into something else. and They turn her into a linden tree. I don't, you know, it's the Greek psyche. Let's just roll with this for a minute. But so Chiron's, here's the key. Saturn's already, Cronus is already off on his way. He's he's trying to find Zeus because he's got to take care of Zeus because Zeus is going to overthrow him. But Chiron's abandoned, he's orphaned. So now we got the orphan archetype here in his pattern. And this is really key to everybody, because when you wake up to your spiritual soul self, to a certain degree, you are orphaning yourself from mass consciousness, period. You're going to feel like you don't fit in. So Chiron doesn't either. Not only that, he's half horse, half human. What are you going to do with that? And he's also half mortal. His horse half is mortal. The upper half of him is, is divine and immortal. So this is about us waking up to the both end of who we are. We're both mortal and immortal we souls in a human body for a certain allotted fate, destiny journey. And that is the pattern of Chiron. But what used to happen is all of that would be projected onto the shaman for a tribe. Now you can't project it anymore. You have to own that journey for yourself. And that's what Chiron says in this new activation toward the Sage of Aquarius as co-creator. Because what does co-creator mean? It means, look. There's a co here. There's stuff that's created. I have nothing to do with. I did not create the solar system. I don't create how the sun rises in the East sets in the West. I don't create a lot of the things that happen in this life. It's bigger than me, bigger than my power, bigger than my influence, period. End of sentence. I, in fact, incarnated into an earth school matrix of energy where there, are, where, where there were already patterns managing reality before I showed up on the scene. I fused into them. I fused into their momentum. And as a alchemist, I'm here to help, yes, shift fate to destiny. But there's a we in all of that. That's what co-creator means. There's a co in your creation. So if you want to launch a business and you want to get yourself out there and create something, you better, ask, you better consult your co. You better understand, hey, is this gonna serve the collective? Is this something they even need? Because if they don't need it, you're not gonna have a successful business done. So you have to be able to say, look, I gotta understand the co of it all. I gotta understand the co of my life. And what we in this self-help spirituality arena here is, you can have anything you want and manifest in anything you want, blah, 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 it's bullshit. And you know how it's bullshit because you're already living. What's true? And That is, no, you don't get to just do anything you want. You have you have an allotted lane. I mean, I wanted to be Mary Lou Retton, and look what happened. I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? Damn. You know, I, I loved gymnastics when I was, I, and I got too tall. My body got too tall, and went on to track to become a junior Olympic track athlete instead. You know, this is what I mean. Is we already live the obvious things that are already saying. Look, you, you can be anything you want to be if it's in your potential. If it's not in your potential, give it up. It ain't happening. Potential means you. It has the inherent capacity in you of coming into being. If you don't have it in your capacity to come into being and the archetypal architecture to support it, it's not happening. You might think you're a, you know you want to go be a singer, but if you can't sing, you know, come on. So <laughs> I hope I made that point. But there's a co and co creator, and Chiron's still subject to fate. So him and Hercules band up. The, the centaurs in mythology were very unruly. They're always having wars with men. And they decide, well, we're going to try to unify men in the centaurs, because hey, I'm half centaur, half sort of man form. And Hercules, of course, is uh, you know half divine. And so they're like, well, let's just let's just see if we can pull this off. So while they're at this this truce meeting, a battle breaks out, and so you know, swords and arrows start flying, and Hercules accidentally shoots Chiron in the leg with a poisoned arrow. And this begins his journey as the wounded healer. And with this poison, and you have to hear the word accidentally. I wanna emphasize that because when we look at, when I look at my own history and everything that happened to me as a kid, on one level it was absolutely personal. How could it not be? I was a child. But on the other hand, it wasn't personal at all. My, my, my father, and my mother were acting out their pain. It wasn't about my worth which you know, takes a long time to really realize. And it's a very painful journey to get there. But it was about their pain, their poison arrow into my leg. And so we all have things that shit that's going to happen that is going to feel absolutely personal. But if you get symbolic eyes on the scene and you look at the soul contract clauses in play, it's not personal at all. Yeah, It's this is the poison you need to start your journey of the wounded healer. Now, why, why that sounds... Preposterous. Why would we need to be poisoned to start a journey of healing and, you know, blah, blah? Well, check out what Chiron does. Chiron, in an effort to heal this poison, tries, and he was already a healer. Apollo trained him to be a healer. Apollo took him under his wing and said, Hey, I'm going to teach you the healing arts. Apollo was his, you know, took him in out, out of his being orphaned, said, I'll teach you divination, I'll teach you music, I'll teach you healing, all the bad, fabulous things Apollo was about, right? And he does. So Chiron already knows how to heal, but he cannot heal this poison. It's from the Hydra. It's this dark. And what is the poison? It's the shadow. It's the human shadow. It's everything in there that we would call evil or unclaimed or unintegrated and dark that does the dark in the world. It's it's in his system now. And so it's in the mortal part of him. So the, it's starting to poison that. And, and, and he's in this 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 really horrific conundrum. He can't die because the immortal part of him won't let him, but the mortal part of him is is in this constant agony of death. So he goes on this hunt to try to find medicine to heal this wound. He can't. He he can never heal it. But you know what he does do is in his pursuit of healing that wound, he develops medicine for everyone else. Mm -hmm. This is in part what the wounded healer pattern serves. It is your journey of healing and sourcing healing for your own woundedness and what is a wound it is something that has been inflicted upon us that violates our holism and we have to somehow get back to holism it's our healing is about getting back to holism so you got to follow the myth because this is where the payoff gets huge so chiron can't die but is in a death process constantly because of this wound and finally he gives it up he says to hercules look dude You got me into this. You go talk to your father, Zeus. Uh, I wanna go to Hades and completely die. I'm done, this is bullshit. Just let me just go, I'm done. I'll give up my immortality, I want out. What he's really saying is I accept the terms of the wound and uh, without a need to try to fix it anymore, I'm done. So Hercules barters a deal with Zeus. Zeus lets um, Prometheus out of Hades, who was down there having his liver pecked by a vulture, every day, and says, okay, uh, you, c- you can take Prometheus's place, I'll let you go down there, I'll set him free, and done deal. So, sure enough, Chiron goes down to Hades, and then Zeus is like, I don't get why he gave up his mortality, that's, that's exceptional. So, he decides to release him out of Hades into full divinity, as the constellation Centaurus. Now, what is huge here, is that you got to follow what Chiron did. Here's, here is our Chironian medicine. It's right here. It's that this paradox. And when we enter into healing and mysticism, we're always in paradox. You don't take your logical right, wrong, either, or mine there. It'll fail. You'll never get traction. But if you go both and on it, if you go in there with, Hey, both can be true, even though it seems like they can't, then you're going to actually heal. So Chiron actually fully heals by surrendering to that he has, doesn't have the power to heal. Yeah. He lets a greater power come in. And then that's how he ends up in his full immortality because he lets, and let's language this now in practical terms, he, he says to his own soul, look, I've done all I can. I've, I've come to the end of my power. So if there's a greater power that can take care of this, fine with me. If not, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to die. And it's in that moment of paradoxically giving up that he heals. So our, our deepest wounds, what Chiron shows is, you're not healing them at the level that they were inflicted, part one. Part two, you have to be willing to um, be okay with them, never healing for them to heal. Yes. And in all of that, this is how we get to a way to walk within Chiron's hooves <laughs> um, in, in, in power. This is the new power. That is part of the new co-creative age is to realize life isn't this journey of being fully fixed or healed. It's being okay with all of it and then letting what can heal, heal. You know, I, um, I knew someone back in the early nineties that had a gay man, and this is before we had meds, that was um, HIV positive. And he seroconverted converted miraculously through the same approach he, he was ready to he was about ready to die and he said you know what he told me oh it's gonna make me cry but he told me that his prayer to the universe was this he said you look I know I'm done this has got me this disease is bigger than me it's more powerful than me I've done everything I can but I, I can't get this down and he said if you got something else for me God down on this planet to do then heal me and if you don't I'm ready to come home oh and he healed. So the, and I'm not that, not that that prayer would work the same way every time, but it does show, um, that this is the, this is the medicine and it's a shame because, you know, and I I don't think everyone's got uh, negative intentions here, but there, there's so many models of healing that are so shame-based people don't even realize they're shame-based. Yeah. And I, the reason why I got to see this was through my intuitive skills, like seeing this in people and growing up gay gave me a very good touchstone with what shame is. So I got to see shame in people's system in a different way, uh, in a way that I could see how it even created spiritual teachings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean the but the Chiron, the Chiron piece is this journey. Now that's the wounded healer aspect, but there's the shamanic one as well. And that is being able to, and this is where our intuitive system is important, our empathic soul senses are important, our our um, multisensory nature is important. We begin to understand that we we are um, wired to be walkers between worlds, just like shamans. But to get to that state, you've got as you were talking about earlier, you've got to go through your shadow, no way around it. I always say the people that are the clearest intuitives, psychics, mediums, channels are the ones that have done the most shadow work oh. because I'll, you'll see people that are in this arena that I, you know, my little lane here that I watch them say shit and it's their shadow cobwebs talking. It's not a direct line of light. It's like you got shadow cobwebs there yeah. and I can see it. And, and so that's how I got clear, I think, and became very accurate was just by always, and it's still a process shadow work's never done. So let me just say that. But when I do readings, it's, it's blank. You cannot go into a reading with anything but a blank slate. If you want to be accurate, you can't go in with your political tribalism. You can't go in with your, um, your stance on vaccines. You can't go in with anything that causes strong emotional bias in you, or you're already off. Yeah, You know, and so there's, there's, there's just this new era of shamanism being about a new really psycho-spiritual growth in us where we don't have a shaman for our tribe per se. We still do, but this is the shift that manages the communication between dimensions for us. Like a priest, you know, supposedly would, that was, you know, one version of it. But if we go to some more indigenous, you know, uh, Tribes and etc. around the world, you'll start to see without all that Catholic, you know, hierarchical, patriarchal, shame-based structures, you do begin to see the true essence of a shaman. And a shaman would ask. So, for example, a shaman would have to ask the spirit world, "Can I even heal this person?" Because sometimes an illness is there as a teacher. I can't take that away from you. Yeah. You know, they they go in, and they, that's when you know someone's really lined in when they when they start to negotiate the greater power, the greater soul contracts. And they ask first, Hey, what can I help this person with versus an assumption that all powers on offer all options are all are on offer. No, they are not. I could never read someone Beyond what I had permission to see. Yeah. And, and the maturity to probably handle, I would add, you know, so this, but becoming shamanic and with Chiron, Chiron is one of the biggest developmental players in all of our life. Certainly, your listenership. This is front and center yeah. in your growth because now you are under contract to become a shaman, and this is nothing special from the point. Don't don't inflate it. Yeah. Don't. That's your shadow talking. That's your I'm not enough talking. This is brutal. Are yeah. you even kidding me? It's brutal shamanic consciousness to get to activate that takes exactly what they went through, some kind of near-death experience. But now it's not necessarily physical near-death experience. These are psychospiritual deaths. This is the dark night of the ego. Yeah. And and it brings online this sense of I've got to, I gotta communicate with some other greater forces because my wounded ego identity that's trying to run the show is not pulling this off. In fact, it's scheduled to die. So a more Um, empowered, healthy ego structure that has the soul behind it can actually take its place. And this is, you know, I think this is something that we are under contract to go through in in various, you know, significant cycles of life Um, and, you know, various stages within those cycles, There's an actual complete mapping of stages in this that I've taught on before. And and we're all going to go through it. It's the new, it's the new facet of how we psycho-spiritually evolve. So, and Chiron is the centerpiece. Chiron is the one that holds and anchors the archetypal dynamics of this in everybody. There's Chiron. Boom! <laughs> that's, that's just the primer. <laughs>
0: I knew there was a reason that I kept hearing Chiron, Chiron, Chiron before we came here today. Robert? It's one of my
1: favorite forces. It's... it's um. It is, ugh, I just can't say enough about it. Yeah, you know, words start to fail. You just have to feel it in your heart. Yeah, you just definitely- bring
0: so much to it. And I mean, in the Chiron piece, I was watching you literally wove every conversation that we had today into that. And <laughs> like yeah. those listening, I mean, really that would be something to go back and go, oh my gosh. Okay, the prayer that his friend said relates to the surrender piece in chiron here here relates to the shamanic piece that you were talking about of
1: right
0: can i even do i does this actually serve the highest to heal this person no actually it doesn't uh, serve them at all for me to do that and i mean that wove everything back to triggers back to feeling enough in every moment back to just sitting with our triggers and fully loving ourselves and I'm okay I'm triggered and this isn't I mean you literally geniusly (laughs) I don't know how many people's brains can keep up with it because my brain was like oh my god there it is there it is there's the link there's the link there's the link Right. I can see where you're talking about languages and your symbolism and just, yeah, that was magic. And I can't tell you yeah. how many times. Oh,
1: thank you. Well, I'm, I hope it helps everybody. I really do. I mean, that's what I do. That's my service is I yeah. have this holographic mind that can, can really move around just like in a hologram and pull information in. Um, and uh, imagine two hours with me in a reading and uh, I could probably talk for four, you know um, but yeah, it just always, you know, and it, it got better and better over time, but it's always kind of been there.
0: Yeah, just the amount of also truth chills that I had. And those don't happen. <laughs>
1: Ooh, I like that, truth un- chills. Unless it's like
0: high vibratory, like, ah, that's a, that's a big truth, like universal truth or big.
1: Yeah. Truth. Just, yeah. it
0: was really stunning. Robert, I want to thank you. <laughs> For myself, for the you're whole very
1: welcome. community, yeah, you're
0: so well and welcome. I want to hear from you, like, what's coming up for you, where, what's hot for you, where can people find more beautiful, amazing Robert Ojado? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, uh, obviously go to my website, ohato.com. And so it's O-H-O-T-T-O.com. Uh, and I'm I'm actually, curiously enough, since we're doing a podcast, I'm getting ready to launch my own in about a month or so. So um, one way to just stay in the know is to get on my newsletter once you're on the, on the website. I do have, you know, I have courses on my website and stuff. And I launch masterclasses intermittently, you know, throughout the year. I've probably got four rotating masterclasses I do. Yeah. Um, in this territory of, of material, you, you know, you'll hear threads of everything that I just said uh, and all that other stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to get a podcast out on intuition and and, and started, uh, a, um, I think, a new discussion about what it actually really is and how to cultivate one's own and how to, um, from like really one-on-one, move forward. Um, so I'm, it's weird. I'm in this phase of wanting to go back and teach the basics and and kind of even my own work then build out you know, to, cause I, at the masterclass level, what I do, it's really, it's like that Chiron was just like a sliver of the kind of level of, of information I, I get people in on. Um, but I want to go back and, you know, get people that are just, you know, trying to feel their system out and get to know their intuitive voice and what it really is and how to, uh, you know, like I said, clean the cobwebs out and really get a clear light channel. in. so that's, what's driving my service through, you know, the podcasts coming out uh, hopefully Love as soon that. as possible, but this fall. Yeah
0: and what you'll bring to the foundational level from where you're at now, right? Yeah, because what will 15 years ago with it, just
1: I exactly how it's,
0: beautiful that will be.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a time in my life too, and as we get older, I'm, I'm going to be 50 mm-hmm. soon. Um, you want to kind of go back and just, you know, think of legacy. Like what, what could I offer as foundational for everybody that is, as you're saying, coming now from 15 years later, what would I say now versus when I was, you know, starting out like really 20 years ago. Um, and just this little baby intuitive astrologer, um, and you see
0: yourself, you're like, yeah, well, you know,
1: it's, it's, it's it, you know, you think of all you your own dark nights, like what you've been through to kind of cultivate new perspectives and um how my perfectionism was running a lot of that back then. And you know, you start to see like ooh, you know, you just want to give that person a hug half the time. I'm like, Oh, I just want to go give that oh Ohado a hug from 15 years ago and just tell them, you know, you're enough. You're enough, dude. You know, but yeah, so I'm excited, I'm excited about it. It's um kind of um, looking to the past to know where to go in the future, which sometimes that happens, you know, you, you yeah. look back to see where to go next. And, and I'll also just look forward to restructuring some things. And, and also, you know, kind of touching on what I said earlier, I do see a lot of misinformation yeah. out there um, and kind of cleaning that up the best I can. So people, you know, mis- misinformation causes suffering. You know, if you're, if you're learning um, spiritual teachings that are actually uh, coming from a shame based um, center. That, that's, that's going to just reinforce the shame and make people feel worse. You know, it doesn't ever, it doesn't really bring the healing. And unfortunately there's so much of that, you know, and I, my first book was with um, the publisher Hay House and there was so much of that over there, you know, in a lot of the stuff they were doing and there still is because it, you know, it, it, it speaks to, I, I call them bypass books. Yeah, It speaks to the quick fix or, and, and notice fix, like you've got to fix yourself. No, you don't you know, you're already enough, this is about revealing that this is about an alignment to what's already in your nature, uh, not about fixing anything. And that's a whole different approach. And there are some really great teachers. I I love Brene Brown's work on shame and and some of the stuff she does. She's very, to me, a very clear and clean teacher in a lot of those regards. Mm -hmm. And I love her approach from more of this, you know, I do have a BA in psychology. So I love that kind of more stats and rats that she brings in terms of what she says in the the study she used to to, uh, back it up. Um, But yeah, I think it's, that's why I'm, I'm, anyway, I'm excited about the podcast. Um, it's called your intuitive edge. It's going to be, nice. um, you know, helping people get to that edge in themselves where they can really just cultivate that clarity and how to do that, you know, topic to topic. I mean, it's endless. I could teach about that till I'm 70. <laughs> you know, So yeah, it's going to be fun
0: One program that I want to give a shout out to just because I know some of the women in our community have spoken about it is oh, okay. I think it's called The Empathic Soul.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, and it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, it's a masterclass called The Empathic Soul and Love Rebel. Yep. And I, I launched it a little, like a little over a year ago, about a year ago. Um, and I actually did a, a follow-up to it as well. And this is a big, like 20-hour, you know, masterclass. And um, it's kind of the cutting edge of my work. And a lot of what I just talked about, you know, nice. you, you would absolutely find again there and then some. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a course I launch at least once a year. So once again, get on the newsletter and, and I think you can still read about it on my website, uh, you know, just to see what it is, but we have a sign up sheet to be notified there if, when I launched it again. And it, I launch it versus just leave it up all the time because I like to be part of the Q and A's. So I always do a new set of Q and A sessions for the, for the students that are coming in and then it allows more interaction. And, you know, I wanna make sure that you're understanding the content and I can be there to help ground any blind sides out and and kind of cover some things as well and yeah that's that's um, one of my latest and greatest bigger courses that even demanded its own like follow up um, 2.0 which I'm I'm teaching live now I'm, I've got a, a, a lesson this weekend actually I'm doing but that's about you know just understanding that some of us come in wired differently on a soul level yeah and I call that the empathic soul I would see it in my readings like some people you know and and, and I think we just assume from our own bubble that everybody feels the way we do or sees the world we do or, or has that driven seeker archetype to figure out the whys of the universe. And what's true is they don't. Yeah. Some people never ask bigger questions. It's just not not making them wrong. It's just not that's not where they are in their evolution as a soul. Perhaps maybe that's just not um, where their growth is pointed. So we feel like everyone must ask these questions and it's not true.
0: Yeah, you
1: know, A lot of people are just happy to hand off any questions to serve their religions and just, you know, go on sinning all week. But you know, the, the thing is really, some of us do come in with a different bandwidth at a soul level to receive and feel information from life. And how does that work when you're still now fusing into the development of human psychology that can't accommodate that? And and oftentimes shames it out or stats and rats it out of you. And what I realized is we need a multisensory psychology, not only that, a multidimensional one, and that's what Empathic Soul 1.0 and 2.0 became. Is that my my uh, going in, and, and it's useful that I have a psychological background because it lets me take models I learned in that, and then go beyond them in a way that's still grounded, you know, and still very um, grounded to what we live. But you know, if you're if you're coming into a, a system like I did, a, an addict system as a family. And you feel your parents because you're an empathic soul that can. How does that affect you when you're four years old, three yeah. years old? You know, those are really big questions that the whole masterclass takes on.
0: I love that. And I know that so many of the individuals in our community have asked questions around that, around this yeah. deep sensitivity, this deep empathy, and like, and almost from a framework of like, what is wrong with me? How do I fix That's it? That's
1: absolutely How right. Do I? And yeah. so
0: I love what you've put together. And I also just love the space that you hold in this unconditional love space. And it's enough right now. And yes,
1: <laughs> exactly. It's both Start and. Start from it's enough. enough
0: right now. And things can shift and change. And I just, Robert, I appreciate this conversation and, everything that you gifted us with and just the way that you serve it's
1: amazing. oh thank you sabrina really truly my pl- my pleasure absolutely
0: wow are there any parting words that you would like to leave
1: you know i, I think you just kind of hinted at it you know I just sitting that question if if you were enough now what like what do you do if that's not if if trying to get to enough isn't driving your choices and your decisions and your self-relationship and relationships who are you You know, how do you move in the world if you are, how would you move in the world if you knew you were already enough? You know, and and I think that that kind of, it can trigger a sense of um, where you're stuck in uh, the illusions of low worth, you know? And and then how do you you actually, and this is mystical paradox, how do you actually then bring worth there? Um, Well, you start with the idea that I'm enough already, you know, and there's nothing to fix. And, you know, it is a practice. Um, there's many elements to that, but, um, practice enoughness Just see what that, just give it a shot. You can always go back to your low worth. I mean, it's always an option, you know, but I I always, I, myself, whenever I'm making a decision and I can get caught into shame based drivers and low worth drivers, just like anybody, but I slow myself down and I take a minute and I think, well, I'm already enough. Now, what do I want to do? You know, and it, and it helps with boundary setting. It helps with overgiving. It helps with dialing in my energy. It helps, you know, it, it's just a really good metric to use in your life. I would, I would, I would just leave with that. Oh, use enoughness as a new metric and see what happens. I love it. It's perfect.
0: All right, to all of you who've been here with us, we are so grateful for this space and so grateful to be here with you. And I will see you when I see you, where I see you and how I see you.